0: Welcome to Geared for Growth. I'm your host, Mike Mortlock, Managing Director of MCG Quantity Surveyors. And we've got a real specialist for you today. We've got the Director of A-Game Property Advisory, Jim Malamatinis. Now, he is a buyer's advocate, but also has an extensive property development background as well. And we chat to him in this episode about with the market being in a bit of a state of flux, how do you maximize the value of what you're purchasing in the current climate? Jim gives us some awesome tips on how to create a tight plan. He talks about the imperative of not sitting on your hands with a market that is in that state of flux and the value of working with experts as well. So much more gold in this episode with Jim and I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Here's Jim. Jim Malamatinas, thanks for joining me on Geared for Growth.
1: Thanks, Mike. How are you going?
0: I'm doing very well. It's nice to finally sort of meet you via Zoom after our unusual chat with you walking through a uh, grimy <laughs> industrial state, but that's another story. Now, Jim, the focus of the episode today is we want to talk about unlocking value in the property market. And the market's in, I suppose, a, a bit of a state of flux at the moment. We've seen, you know, a huge boom and we're now seeing, you know, markets come back and, and retract a little bit. So it's kind of getting towards a little bit more of a, an equilibrium where there might be opportunities for buyers and sellers at the, at the moment. What are you observing at the coalface?
1: You're absolutely correct. The market is definitely in a, a, you know, a state of transition I and mean, it's mid- Moving more towards a balanced market, and it's it's really challenging to keep up with. To be honest, even for a professional that's in it on a day to day basis, versus an average buyer who's sort of coming in once every so many years. Yeah, but it's definitely in that more stabilised period now, where we're seeing sort of A grade real estate still selling really well. There's just not a lot of stock of that kind of property, if you like. Yeah, so clients that I have that are looking for those, you know, their dream home in a blue chip suburb, still there's not a lot of that around. But investment properties, there's a lot more opportunity in certain areas to find those kinds of properties. And every state is performing differently. So if you sort of look at you know Australia as a whole, if you like, I know that Melbourne and Sydney are probably taking the biggest hit and stabilised quicker than the rest of the country because yep. we grew quicker and Melbourne more so I would say over Sydney given you know it's a lot more affordable to buy here and and what I'm seeing is a lot more New South Wales buyers being quite strategic and half my client load at the moment is Sydney buyers coming into Melbourne and really looking at that affordability aspect of it and investing into Melbourne real estate because it is affordable and it's cooled up a lot quicker than Sydney. But they're also looking at other states like SA and you know Perth in particular. Yep. There's a lot of opportunity there, even though there's been quite a lot of growth those two smaller capital cities there's been quite a lot of growth but there's still a lot of opportunity for the first home buyers and investors alike but you know even in sydney there's some opportunities it just you have to go a bit more regional to yeah. get them especially at that more affordable price point and then we go across to brisbane which is still it's still pretty hot as of last week's data, i've started to see a bit of a glimmer of a, a bit of a change based on obviously the, the interest rate hike that we just recently saw but there's been you know still extraordinary growth over the last 12 months there so you have to be really strategic about where you buy in Brisbane because everyone wants to go
0: to Queensland. Yeah, exactly. And we crunched our data for a thousand residential purchases and we saw 34% going to Queensland as opposed to 11% going to Victoria. So that's interesting from, from our perspective to see how popular that is. And I guess you sort of hit the nail on the head about, well, you know, tourism, Queensland always has a pretty good run with it being sunny and all that sort of stuff. But the price point is a huge one. And that seems to be getting to the point where that's really... Going to dictate where investors purchase for the next little while and maybe forever, right? Because you used to be able to invest for a reasonable sum of money in Sydney and maybe even in city, Melbourne. But it's kind of like if you've only got five or six, seven hundred to spend, even you got to be a bit more creative. Do you think?
1: But it's a really good, really good point that you raise. And I think in Melbourne at the moment, I've got investment investment buyers on the books about around that six hundred. Mark. And yeah. I think there's going to be that sweet spot. It's all based on your objectives at the end of the day, your strategic plan and your ultimate objectives, whether you want to be more cash flow focused or, you know, capital growth focused. And at the moment, with those buyers that have got around the $600,000 mark, there's really good capital growth opportunities with, you know, capital uh, being cash flow neutral, if you like, yeah. um, coming up in certain suburbs in Melbourne. So there are still opportunities in Melbourne, really good ones at the moment, especially given the markets cooled off. But Queensland does give you the those six, 7% yields, which you're not going to get in Melbourne. So, yeah, yeah. you know, the best I've bought in Melbourne is probably five, five and a half percent yield, but that's really sacrificed the capital growth component. Whereas for these buys that I've got on the books at the moment, we've got really good capital growth prospects, but yields of around, you know, three and a half, four 4%, which is neutral at the moment. But obviously, as rates rise, there'll be some contribution that's you know, required.
0: Yeah, no, that's 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 a good insight there, and and I and when you talk about rates, I mean the market has been so hot that it really kind of favoured the owner occupiers that are being emotional, right? Because you know we're told as investors not to be emotional, so like unless you were emotional, you were going to miss out on a lot of opportunities, right? Because their owner occupiers that were going to auction, they'd missed out on two or three, and it's basically you know mum and dad have tapped me on the shoulder and said, do whatever you got to do, don't don't miss out on this, you know, we'll help. You you out. With the interest right, uh, rates um, rises that we've seen already, and at the point of recording, it's two, and it's going to go again. You would think. <laughs> is that where you think there is an opportunity for investors to potentially pick a bargain, or or are we so close to the heated point that bargains don't exist just yet? One,
1: well, Mike, I think you know ultimately, at the risk of being corny, bargains do exist. I think you've just got to be very strategic in how you find them. Yeah. and they're not just for the investor; they're also for you know, that home buyer, if you like. So I've got a lot of people that have come out of the works that have been waiting to buy their dream home and the time's never been really right. This is that right time for people to either buy their dream home, their next home or an investment property. But when you're looking for a bargain, it's not always about the price. It's about being very clear on what your criteria is for that property. So ultimately, you know, if you need a certain amount of bedrooms, a certain amount of bathrooms, your family, if it's a family home, if I found a home that was a lot smaller, but it was in the best location, it had a pool and it was a really great price, well, that really wouldn't be a bargain. So ultimately, bargains are around, but it, they need to fit your your criteria. And I think probably one example I can give is a recent good buyer, we'll call it, which was an off-market opportunity for an investor from Sydney, ironically. And it was one that was listed by the agent or the authority was signed on the Monday morning. I was in Monday lunchtime, client was from Sydney. So we did a video call, walkthrough through on the Tuesday morning and All ADD. And we'd signed that contract by Wednesday morning. So it was a 48 hour turnaround from when she had listed the uh, property to when yeah. we had signed the contract of sale and we were the only ones to see it. So they're the kinds of things where we didn't compromise on the requirements. We were just the first and only to see it. So it was an off-market opportunity. We moved very quickly and were able to create a win-win situation where we got a good price, but we also offered a, a really good settlement, which worked for the vendor.
0: I like that and I think that that's preparedness is not too dissimilar to what was required in the in the heat of the market right it was kind of like well this place is going to get 20 offers so yours needs to be attractive right it's not just about the price it's the settlement period it's the conditions it's how long you drag your tail on the due diligence or whether you try and sort of screw them down over some repairs or something like that. One pet hate that I hear from buyers agents right is that they get a criteria or a brief whatever buyers agents call it I think I think it's a brief. It's
1: Uh, a brief. brief. We call call it a brief.
0: We'll call it a brief. And then the buyers will send an email to the buyer's agent saying, oh, have you seen this one on realestate.com? And firstly, the answer is yes. Second, it doesn't fit your brief. So we got rid of it a million (laughs) years ago. And three, like, let us do the job that you're paying us for, right? But these are people that had to be coached through the process of putting a brief together, right? So for the people that don't go through that chart of guidance with the buyer's agent, I'm guessing... And they're going to be even a little bit more haphazard. And you talked about the importance of the criteria. How do people put something together in their head or a plan on paper so that they can be ready to dive on something that matches?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. I think that's always the first step with any new client that I have, the briefing and onboarding process. So we we normally take two weeks to get that brief super tight, even though we go through an initial Onboarding meeting and people have been out there before they get to me for six, sometimes twelve months, looking on their own, but they've never really sat down and and gone through the list. So what I get my clients to do, and what I think you know, my recommendation to your listeners would be, is to write out the list that they want, all their requirements in their home, if it's their next home or their dream home or whatever it is. Say, for example, they've got three children and they work from home a lot more now due to COVID. Then they most likely will want four bedrooms and potentially an office, so four bedrooms plus an office. And most people with families, I mean, I've got young kids, love having separate living spaces, so two living spaces where you can put the kids and they can play all their games and that kind of thing in a separate zone. So my guidance to people would be to just really sit down and write that list and write it independent of your partner and come together together. Maybe over a glass of wine or over tea, whatever you like to drink, and just debrief. Because some of the things I find when I, you know, when I meet with a couple is that they're not always aligned. You know, they have different things in their mind, and they go to a property and they don't agree. So that's half the issue is they're not on the same page themselves. So write that list of what you want in a property. Get your part partner, if you're buying with someone else. If it's just a loan, it's a little bit easier to write that same list and then come together and discuss it and really cement, you know, what it is that you're after, and then start to get out there in the market and, and just you know, take your time to find some properties and look around and, and get the feel of them and see if they fit, fit the brief.
0: The Give for Growth Property Investing Podcast is presented by our business, MCG Quantity Surveyors you're an investor or a property professional looking to get the best tax depreciation deductions for yourself or your clients, please get in touch with us at mcgqs.com.au. It's our mission to help as many property investors as we can to maximise their claims and maximise their property education as well. Not only does that sound like good real estate advice, it sounds like good marital advice, Jim. (laughs) I've been known to be a
1: bit of a marriage <laughs> counsellor at times too.
0: I think there's value in, in doing that in many aspects of life and, uh, yeah, perhaps you've just cast the searchlight on me and I need to pour my gla- uh, my wife a glass of wine and have a chat to her. Given uh, the market correction that, that we're in, well, you know, the, the the focus of this podcast was unlocking value in, in the property market you know we're, we're talking about opportunities to to maximize what you're purchasing so we talked about getting the brief and the criteria right but what other strategies can you recommend that people employ to be able to try and manufacture some sort of value whether it's in the, the way in or the way out or with renovations what are you sort of seeing as the best way to unlock some extra value in property at the moment such a loaded
1: question and a really big <laughs> one so i'll start i'll start small and then We can flesh it out even further if you like. But what I'm seeing with my clients, because I have the two different types, you know, once they have their clear plan, strategic plan, their overarching plan in terms of what they want to do, and then they've got a plan and then all their requirements that we just spoke about around that next property. An example would be you know, a client that I've just onboarded that's a $2.5 million dream home buyer. So we've got their plan in place in terms of we know they are after a very niche period home with a certain amount of character, bedrooms and and other things. So the strategy that I'm developing for them is very, very focused on pre and off market homes and very targeted because there's a limited number of properties that meet their brief. Very different to an investment client that I've also got... On the books that wants a capital growth focused strategy and for them when we're more looking at the data to be able to deliver the objectives of the number side of things then selecting the right suburb and also the right property types within those suburbs yep. in addition to all that there's so many other things i mean i'm obviously a property developer and a buyer's advocate so i've got two arms to my business and and for myself you know i look at not only cash flow and capital growth properties that i buy and hold but also adding value through property development and so that's manufacturing equity if you like is what the official strategic name for it is, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, so buying correct allotment. So recently I buy for property developers as well. So making sure you buy the right, block that can be developed so you know there's a lot of things that you need to check and that's a whole another discussion to buy what you need to buy so that you can develop it to meet your end game your end goals for that development in terms of how many townhouses price and the roi that you need to buy to make and then finally there's the you know there's the the flippers and i've never been a renovator that's just not my thing i think at the moment in speaking to agents there's really great opportunities to buy smart homes that can be renovated later on or renovated even now but held for at least a couple of years and not sold immediately. So they can maximize the growth on them. Yeah. Yeah. And you get, so they're probably the key things that I I think about right now. And then there's, yeah, there's a whole range of other things, but in a nutshell, they're the key things.
0: Yeah, no, no, I appreciate that. We, we could probably do an eight-hour marathon on your, your insights into into uh, A-grade uh, investment properties. You touched on something with the development and obviously that's a whole other episode with your, your development um, background and experience. But you, you see advertised to investors a lot of the time, you know, properties with development potential and it's always got that, you know… STCA subject to council approval sort of asterisk because the real estate agents aren't going to do that sort of due diligence for you they just go oh you know I heard that you know 19 meter frontages are all you need here and I'll just bung that in the ad right for people that aren't at that point where they've got the ability to borrow to fund that development straight away is it a good strategy just to buy something that has that potential but run it as a normal investment property and hope that later on the value goes up just because of that inherent potential or do you think that you're having to pay like an extra amount that if you don't have the ability to turn that into a development or or subdivide that maybe you should be looking to a different style of asset? That's a
1: big one. I'm yeah. trying to get to the start of that question. I don't know, have yeah, you had uh, your coffee? Uh, yeah, I've had a couple actually. It's, <laughs> it's an early one. But I think no, it's a good one in the fact, I'll go back to basics. So yep. it's, you've got to be really clear on what your objective is when you start the process of investing. So, for example, if you want to buy and hold and if you're looking at capital growth versus cash flow, then that's a decision to be made. If you're looking at, you know, having a sort of a capital growth focused property, like I was talking before with one of my investor clients, it's, that's neutral, but future property development potential. Now this is not in the room yet for this guy, yeah. um, but I still look at it through that lens because I just, it's a natural thing I've been doing for 15 years. It's I look at a block of land and, and look, can you develop this? Yes. And ultimately, there's a lot of things that you need to check. So there's a, there's a whole process which is you know quite lengthy. You, you need to check with council. There's a lot of websites that you can jump on and, and check yourself to see if the, the land is developable. There's easements and so forth. There's flood zones to be wary of and, and all, all these different types of things and also council requirements. But ultimately, having the right team of people around you to guide you is critical. Yeah. And sometimes you don't need to, to pay more, Mike. At the moment, you know, I'm focused on land banking. So right. it's a great opportunity to to buy property when the market's not so hot yeah. for future development and you can just keep it, you know, rented out and neutrally geared so it's paying itself off. And that's a development that you can do later on. So my recommendation, I guess, you know, a question that you probably didn't ask for my opinion or recommendation, but I'll give it anyway. Yep. Um, if anyone is looking to invest in property at the moment, which my guidance is, it's a, it's a great time given the market state that we're in and property development is on their radar, right? but they're not quite sure. Is If they're not sure what to do, and it is pretty confusing just in general, it's just speak to an expert. Yep. You know, either a buyer's advocate in your state, um, real estate agents, architects, even calling the council, just basic 101 stuff. yeah do on your own so do the DD first and you can still you you may not have to pay the premium that you were talking about before
0: I think that's really good advice I I think like if you've got a brief and the property fits your brief no matter what and it is advertised with development potential, then that's a great upside. Whereas, you know, if part of the price that you're paying factors in development potential, then you've got to do the due diligence right because you're paying for that—that that, you know—that capacity of the property to to do that. So, yeah, it all comes down to having that focus and then getting the advice when it's part of the strategy.
1: Look, mate, I'll give you another example, and I know you haven't asked for that, but the, <laughs> yeah, I just bought a block, always adding extra yeah, yeah, mic, and you yeah. can yeah. probably cut it out if you underpromise and
0: but... deliver. That's that's the way we but do I it. But I bought, absolutely, right?
1: <laughs> I bought a, a block a couple of years ago with plans and permits for townhouses. And normally people charge a premium when they sell with plans and permits because there's obviously a lot of costs, at least $50,000 of costs involved in those. And as you said, sometimes there's a premium in there. But I bought it at a time, you know, a couple of years ago, it was sort of in between COVID lockdowns and you know, there wasn't a premium at all. Instead, I bought the property a $100,000 cheaper than when it was purchased two years before and they didn't have the plans and permits. Yeah. So it's just about buying strategically. And at the end of the day, I then did the numbers on those plans and permits and they weren't viable. Right. So they were useless to me anyway. And I did my own plans and permits that were viable. So I think it's just, yeah, having that support around you where you're just doing things the right way versus just winging it. Yep. And I definitely winged it you know, 15 years ago when I started it, luckily, you know, know my numbers and, and always was number focused. So, you know, it has it's worked out well in that regard, but yeah. it's just, yeah, making sure you do the DD as you go through instead of just, you know, picking up a dart and throwing it.
0: Yeah. That's really important. Now, just for some basic advice that let's say that someone is looking for their first investment property or their second investment property and they just want to make sure that they get some growth right what are some of the key things that you can point to to say look if it ticks one or two or three of these boxes then you're you're on your way to a property that's going to grow in value look
1: i think ultimately if you're starting out in the property market and you're not quite sure where to buy and what to do i think you really need to spend some time doing research um and research is like i Said, is the DD before you even get out there and, and sign something so for me the rule of thumb for you know beginners is if you're not sure what area to buy what you're looking for is to just get out there and go to some open speak to some agents speak to some independent people like advocates you know speak to a lot of range, you know, range of different types of people but spend at least the settlement period so 60 to 90 days of educating yourself look on realestate.com see what's actually selling and why but to answer your question when you're looking and just for an investment focused properties there's a lot of properties that are sitting on the market at the moment that have been sitting on the market for 6 days 90 days post auction and there's normally a reason for that so the key piece of advice is what not to buy which is properties and people can still choose to buy them but they may not grow as much in value so the properties that are sitting on the market at the moment what we term as b or c grade properties are more those ones that are compromised in some way so they're either on the main road they're close to rail close to public housing there's something about them that's not a grade if you like it's not desirable to some degree and you know that varies Close to a school is not always ideal for some people from an investment point of view, but it works rather. So that's a 50 50. But understanding the drivers of that property, easements are another one. And just being out there and sort of gathering all that information is key. Selecting suburbs is the harder one because you've really got to know the data. And that data is quite complex when you're not sure and you're doing it the first time. You can Google growth rates and of this suburb and that suburb and all that kind of thing. But my suggestion is trying to get hold of at least historical growth data for the last 10 years and see what the market cycle's been like for a period of time because history is a good predictor of future performance
0: yeah beautiful some good tips there jim and to round us out we're going to try and just cajole you into your top three tips that you recommend people follow when they're considering their property purchase in the market that we're in at the moment and perhaps perennially if if that works with your tips. Top
1: three tips. All right, let's summarize it all. Take it <laughs> home. I think for me, everything that we've said, you know, can be rounded down into, into three things, which is number one, having a very, very clear plan. Yep. And in that clear plan, I mean, tight, objectives and what you want to achieve number 1 and from that what requirements you need in the property and the area that you want to buy so having that really tight is the the first thing and that's that's what takes time I mean it takes me 2 weeks full time working with clients to get clear so if you're not doing this every day it can take you at least 6 to 90 days as I mentioned the second thing would be be proactive and get out there because there's so many people I speak to, you know, people that want to work with me, people that are working with me that, and many of them are just sitting on the fence and wondering, Jim, should we just hang on for a little bit more to see what happens with the market? You know, rates have just gone up again. They might go up more. Well, I can tell you they will go up more. And sitting and watching and waiting is not a good strategy because right now there's a lot of opportunity to have, you know, and profit that can be made if you buy strategically and you know what you're doing and you transact quickly at the end of the day. So it's the second thing is don't just watch and wait and sit on the fence. It's a big mistake and a lot of people are making it. So be... one that doesn't do that and the final thing is reaching out to experts so when you're it's so confusing at the moment so rates are going up but at the same time there's no stock so you've got this conundrum of well you'd think that it'd be really easy to buy because you know interest rates have gone up but i can tell you it's not if you're buying a grade real estate because that's why people come to me and they say jim you know why is there no stock and that's a big question finding that A-grade real estate is challenging. So my advice would just be to speak to, reach out to experts, lean on them because they can really compress people's, you know, research timeframe. So instead of taking 90 days, they can buy in, you know, 30 days and have all the, the wealth of knowledge because they're in it every day. So regardless of your state, speak to sales agents. Don't rely solely on sales agents, get independent advice from advocates, speak to architects, whoever you need to speak to, council, so forth, just to make sure that you've got the clear picture on the depending on what your
0: objective is. I love that. We talked in detail about the plan and that's not something that I've really talked much about on this podcast. So that's great. I learned a lot. And of course, advocating for experts, I'd see so much value in the people that I interview. Like you might think you're pretty clever at something, but if you're not doing it day in, day out, they're going to run rings around you. And the don't wait thing. I think the second interest rate rise really put the brakes on for everybody, right? And the stats have just changed to 68% of property investors only own one property. Now the majority of people are sitting and waiting, and the majority of property investors aren't, you know, super successful property investors. So that correlation should perhaps tell you something that this could be the time to get off your backside and, and do something. So, Jim, that's some awesome advice. Thanks very much for sharing your wisdom today. It's a pleasure, Mike. Great to see you. Cheers. Live in live over Zoom. Next time it'll be a coffee in person. I promise. Look forward to it, mate. Thanks so much. Cheers, Jim. Bye.